Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This CME activity titled, Optimal Tissue Acquisition, Handling, and Processing NGS and PDL1 Testing, is brought to you by the American College of Chest Physicians and supported by an independent educational grant from AstraZeneca Pharmaceuticals, an educational grant from Genentech, a member of the Roche Group, and an independent medical education grant from Merck Sharpen Dome Corporation. Before starting this activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. From wherever you're visiting, we want to welcome you to this third women webinar in a series of five on lung cancer management. Uh, I'm Eric Udell, and it's a real privilege to be here with my co-chair, uh, Dr. Septimio Margu from the University of Chicago. We have three expert panelists today that will be presenting on the topic of tissue acquisition and interpretation and its use for managing lung cancer. Dr. Nargis Duma is, the, is an assistant professor of medicine and the associate director of the cancer equity program at Dana-Farber Brigham Cancer Center. Dr. Christopher Hartley is a cytopathologist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And Dr. Jeffrey Mueller is a, a pathologist from the University of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. And with that, I will ask Dr. Mueller to please take the... So frequent barriers to optimal diagnosis and molecular testing. Sometimes it's inadequate specimen for diagnosis. A solution, I think, being able to work with the pathologist to either establish rows that they don't have on-site evaluation or to improve uh, what they already have. Uh, sometimes the, the reason ROSE is not implemented, there may be reimbursement issues. I don't really know um, how, what, what the reimbursement actually is. We're in an academic center, so we're, we're not as involved in that. Um, there's other alternative evaluation methods that can be used, uh, maybe a cytotech, um, telepathology, um, and also reviewing slides for feedback on techniques. I think that would really help a lot. We're fortunate in that we have a screen in the room, a shared screen where the proceduralist or the pulmonologist can see what we see and they can immediately change their technique based on you know, what they're getting. Whereas if, if you're just putting everything into a jar, you may not ever see uh, wh what the reason is why you're not getting adequate material. So I think being able to review the slides if you don't have rows. Um, inadequate specimen for comprehensive molecular testing. Uh, Minimizing immunohistochemical staining. Right now, the recommendation is to do just two immunostains to further classify a non-small cell carcinoma. Uh, we use TTF1 for adeno and P40 for squamous cell carcinoma. If we can tell which it is without doing those, then we don't do any immunostains other than PDL1. PDL1 is a stain that we're commonly doing on all cases. Um, but there are some places where they're doing a whole panel, and they do this whole panel up front and say it's TTF1 positive, it's a primary lung adenocarcinoma, but they did 20 stains, there may not be enough then for molecular. And so the, the recommendation is to minimize the number of, of uh, immunostains that are done. And we use smears for um, next-gen sequencing. Uh, so it's something to consider if the cell block is inadequate or if the, the tissue biopsies are inadequate. Um, Long turnaround times, I think working with pathology to identify what the source of the delays are, 
and discuss discussions at a multidisciplinary tumor board. I think it makes a world of difference when people get together and actually talk about what the problem is and how, as a team, we can overcome the problems. And we move on to Dr. Hartley's presentation. So uh, the workflow here at Mayo is we get the diagnosis of adenocarcinoma or non-small cell carcinoma. Uh, and here, the oncologist is the one who orders uh, uh, this lung panel, which is this abbreviation here at Mayo uh, for our NGS panel. And uh, PDL1 testing will be ordered as well. So uh, our turnaround time for the NGS panel, which is typical of most places, is 12 to 20 days. Uh, two weeks is kind of a good rule of thumb for NGS. So I, I want to briefly, just as a kind of thought experiment, um, you consider a, span, a scant specimen. Uh, why not just try it? You know, sometimes we'll call uh, the clinician and say, look, you know, we don't have a lot here. Um, you know, we're not sure if you want to still pursue testing. And I think kind of the, the natural inclination to say, yeah, please, uh, please just go ahead and push it through. So um, if you think about it, you know, there, there are nuclei here, um, you know, and then of course in the nuclei there's DNA and there are normal genes. So um, if you just push uh, a specimen through with cells, uh, you'll get no mutation detected. Uh, uh, but if you do it at a place uh, like Mayo and place with quality uh, Q, good QC measures, you'll get uh, unsat. Uh, they'll say, look, there's not enough tumor here. So um, so one question you could ask instead of just saying push it through, um, you could say or ask, are there smears? Um, not every place will necessarily think of smears as being uh, useful for uh, molecular testing, or they may not. The laboratory might not be validated for that, so they might not. Tend, they'd prefer to do testing on a cell block, which is uh, here on the left. This is FFPE. Um, so they may have to send out, which you know, a lot of labs may not like sending out testing, but. Uh, uh, you know, if you ask if there's smears, you can get a lot of yield uh, in terms of NGS testing just off of one smear. Um, and of course, you, there's a there's a route to send it to Mayo uh, for testing. Then you should have ideally greater than 5,000 cells, but you can get by with just 3,000. Um, and there's a, there's even a nice note about cover slipping. Um, if you have a plastic cover slip, that can actually add several days uh, to the turnaround time. So again just kind of thinking about things that can hold up the turnaround time. So I think one other issue to, th to think about is if you, if you have plenty of tissue, tissue is not the problem, but you don't have a lot of time. So a, a patient with a brain metastases, for example, and you, and you want to know if there's a targetable uh, therapy, and this is something you could start by thinking about anecdotally, has this ever come up? How often does it come up? And then you can start to move towards institution level um, committees and things and decide what should we have a little in-house assay that can process, for example, EGFR um, uh, sequencing uh, rapidly, uh, or should we uh, consider a route for sending out for such a thing, uh, again, in a really urgent clinical context? Obviously, the most relevant thing will be the patient volume and determining whether uh, you would get an in-house assay um, or, or send it out. Um, and uh, that's a good segue into Dr. Dumas' talk. Um, on what kind of tissue do we need for um, medical treatment and, med and clinical trials? Dr. Duma. Lung cancer used to be CS1 disease, only one. And eventually it was divided as adenocarcinoma, squamous, and other. But now we're going to a phase in which lung cancer is actually many. And genomic testing allows to do that. So mutations change by geographic location, right? And we also see difference in, in mutations based on ethnic, ethnic and racial background. Uh, but what most people don't know that the second group that's most likely to have an EGFR mutation are our Hispanic Latinx patients. 
Uh, here in Boston, I actually have several patients, mostly Central American with EGFR mutations. Then we see more KRAS mutations in the white population because it's linked to smoking uh, and higher prevalence of ALK and Hispanics and whites. So molecular management. One of the things that I wanna come across we as a medical oncologist is that first, all adenocarcinomas should be tested regardless of race factors. It doesn't matter if the patient has smoked one pack in their entire life or has a 50-year back history because now we have targeted therapy for KRAS G12C, which is very linked associated with smoking history. And we also have targeted therapy for VRAF, who's also associated with a smoking history. So these factors should know as to a patient with adenocarcinoma. So all of them should be tested for biomarkers. What about next-gen sequencing? I'm a big proponent of just next-gen sequencing because the field of lung cancer is changing rapidly. In 2020, despite the pandemic, we have seven, you heard it right, seven drug approvals for lung cancer. And this year, we're expecting one more that will be added to this file. So it is easier to conduct next-gen sequencing so you don't have to be catching up with all these approvals. Something that has changed a lot of things is liquid biopsy or circulating tumor DNA. Circulating tumor DNA has been more validated in EGFR mutations. It was initially studied there and slowly we're learning more in other patients. But this provides a plan B. But it's important to understand that liquid biopsies have a higher positive predictive value in patients that have disease outside of the chest. Liver metastasis are the patients that tend to have higher positive predictive value. Some patients may have a lung lesion and a brain lesion. If it's in the brain, the positive predictive value comes down. But it has allowed us to have a plan B to collect samples to understand and also to understand resistance to drugs. So we're not only using a diagnosis, but also at the time of progression. The problem with liquid biopsy is that if it's negative, it doesn't mean much. You still need your tissue. And some patients may not have enough tumor circulating DNA. So it's a good way as a plan B, but it's not 100% because negative results mean you still need the tissue. There are disparities in biomarker testing, particularly for black men who are test around 39% versus 50%. But let's take into account that this data shows that only 50% of white patients are getting tested for biomarkers. That is still suboptimal because then patients are treated the wrong way. Patients are treated the wrong way because we don't have the appropriate testing. But what this study shows is there's a direct correlation between biomarker testing, that's the vehicle for clinical trial participation. For patients that get resected and they don't get NGS, they don't have the option of going into a targeted therapy adjuvant trial or the patients that get resected and don't get biomarker testing are now gonna get adjuvant um, atisoluzumab. But we know that doesn't work in EGFR patients. They should go on EGFR therapy. So that's why there's a direct correlation between biomarker testing and clinical trial participation. Thank you all again very much. Have a good evening. 
This activity was part of a seven-part series brought to you by the American College of Chest Physicians and supported by an independent educational grant from AstraZeneca Pharmaceuticals, an educational grant from Genentech, a member of the Roche Group, and an independent medical education grant from Merck Sharpen Dome Corporation. To receive your free CME credit or to view other activities in this series, go to reachmd.com slash CME. This is CME on ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.